Hebrews chapter 11, verses 29 through 31 is where we're going to read. We're going to continue what we started this morning. And I'm still interested in this woman named Rahab. And I I think there's still more that the Lord would have us see from her. And I want you to look at verse 29 where the Bible says, By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down, for they were compassed about seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not, when they had received the spies with peace. Now, uh, we said this morning, we talked a little bit about that canceling power of faith and what faith did in her life. How it, how it canceled out her past how it canceled out her perishing, and how it canceled out her partnerships. And I want to emphasize just a little bit that last uh, uh, canceling out, if you will, that, that, that partnership portion. Because you'll notice at the end of verse number 31, the Bible says she received the spies with peace. Rahab is in a new crowd. I find it interesting that here we are in Hebrews chapter 11, and of all those that have been mentioned, we have a woman that the Bible says, the Bible says it now, she's a harlot. Now I read after some commentators, and they had a hard time with the fact that a harlot was in the great hall of faith. In fact, I read after one fella, he said this, he said said that she was an innkeeper, and that she wasn't actually a harlot. But you know, I started looking at some stuff and here's what I figured out. I figured out that word harlot actually means to commit adultery. And and I started looking at some of these roots of that word. And did you know that the word harlot comes from that word porne, which is the root from which we get our English word for pornography. If you were using that old English word, you know what they would have called her? They would have called her a strumpet. Uh, In the book of Proverbs, she's known as the strange woman. The Bible says she was a harlot. So you want to know what I believe? I believe exactly what the Bible says. She was a harlot. And now some struggle with that. They say, how could a harlot be in the great hall of faith? How could the harlot be in the lineage of Christ? Well, hello, isn't that exactly what faith does? It takes you out of one crowd and it puts you in another. Takes you out of the miry clay and sets your feet on the solid rock. That shouldn't surprise anybody. But I suppose as you get to looking in Hebrews chapter 11 so far, we've seen princes and we've seen prime ministers. We've seen prophets and we've seen patriarchs. We've seen a set of parents and now we see a prostitute. Some would say she just doesn't fit in. So far we've seen shepherds and we've seen soldiers. We've seen statesmen and now, using that word we just learned a minute ago, we see a strumpet. So far in Hebrews 11, we've seen a brave woman, a barren woman, and now we have this brazen woman. Some would say she doesn't quite fit in, but she does. I think she's exactly where God intends her to be. We're going to talk a little bit about her faith, and I want to point out something interesting to you that the Lord caught my attention with. Some would say, as they look at this woman, That her faith was less heroic than others mentioned in the hall of faith. But I disagree. In fact, I think that you could say that her faith may have been greater than some of the others mentioned in this chapter. Because it operated off of less revelation. Abel had parents that had lived for God. 
taught him about the sacrifices. Noah had a prophecy from Enoch. Abraham had a promise from the Lord. And Sarah had a partner named Abraham that wanted to serve God. Rahab had none of those things. And still she believed. Uh, You know, uh, some comparisons could be made between her and, and her companions in this great hall of faith. Because like Abel, she recognized that she was worthy of death. Like Enoch, by faith, she escaped death. Like Noah, by faith, she prepared an ark to the saving of her household. Like Abraham, she went out not knowing when she went. Like Sarah, by faith, she had strength to conceive. I see no children mentioned except those born of Salmon after she leaves that life of sin. Like Isaac, she had understanding of things to come. Like Jacob, she blessed two men in an unusual way. Remember remember when he got all crossed up? I mean, that's Jacob. Jacob got all crossed up and blessed those two sons of Joseph. And I'm telling you this, if you were to ask those two spirits, Where is God's deliverance coming from? How is God going to help you? I think Rahab would have been the last one they'd have expected to get that help from. And so, like Joseph, she had faith to believe God had given the land of Canaan to the children of Israel. Like Moses' parents, she hid someone and was not afraid of the king. Like Moses, she chose the people of God over the pleasure of sin for a season. Like Moses, she forsook the land of her childhood, not fearing the wrath of the king. And like Moses, she kept her own Passover by trusting in a crimson line. She's no innkeeper, brother. I think she's right where she belongs in the hall of faith. You can make the comparisons. And you can and you can draw out all the definitions you want. But I'm telling you, she's right where God wants her to be. Now, we've spent a little bit of time lifting up the virtue of her faith. And how God has used her. But I find something interesting in this verse. There's something I notice in verse 31 where the Bible says, By faith the harlot Rahab. Now doesn't that seem harsh? Doesn't it seem unfair and unkind that this good woman, who is not a harlot anymore, we're in the New Testament now, and yet she is still being labeled a harlot. Now isn't that something? Do you know what it's like to have a hard time shaking a label? Do you know what it's like when you've lived one way and you try to turn and repent and you start following and living for God but people still remember you for what you used to do? Have you ever run into that old crowd and maybe they haven't kept up with you and they don't know what God's done in your life and they don't know that you go to church now and that you've been saved and you run into them and they say, Man, I remember you. I remember how you used to drink. Well, I remember the parties we used to go to. Have you ever been there? They remember what you used to be. Do you remember the embarrassment? The shame? The flushed cheeks as you thought, God, how long must I live with this label? How how long must I be known according to what I used to be instead of what you made me? And I get to look at it. And by the way, can I tell you, Rahab's not the only one who knows what you're going through. I started looking through the Bible. There's all kinds of people that are labeled by who they once were. I'm thinking of a labeled woman right now. Her name is Ruth. You say, which Ruth? You know, the Moabitess. 
Five times on an official basis, her name's given in the book of Ruth. In 1.4, she's labeled as one of the women of Moab. In 1.22, it's Ruth the Moabitess. In 2.6, it's Ruth the Moabitish damsel. In 2.21 and 4.5 and 4.10, it's Ruth the Moabitess, Ruth the Moabitess, and Ruth the Moabitess. Don't you think she would have liked to have peeled off that label? I mean, after all, she did say to to Naomi, your God will be my God. Your people are going to be my people. After all, she is in the lineage of Christ. Don't you think she would have liked to have been known by that? And yet still, she's Ruth the Moabitess. I think she'd like to slip off that label. I'm thinking of another labeled woman. Her name is Abigail. You say, which Abigail? You know, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. Did did you know that after, four times after Nabal's death, and after she's married to David, she's still labeled Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelites. Don't you think she'd like to peel off that label? Somebody says, aren't you Nabal? No, 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 no. Hey, come on. I'm not, I'm not married to that son of Belial. I'm not married to that churlish man. I'd like, don't you think she'd like to be associated with David? And yet still, she's, Labeled as uh, Nabal's wife. I'm thinking of another labeled individual. His name's Matthew. You say, which Matthew? You know, the publican. Don't you think he'd like to peel off that label? Uh, Don't you think that he would have liked to have been known as Matthew, the writer of the gospel? Matthew, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And yet he's known in the scripture as Matthew, the publican, when he's listed among Jesus' twelve. I'm thinking of another labeled man. His name is Simon. You say, which Simon? You know... The leper. My pastor Bob Smith, when he was a preacher boy, he preached about Simon the leper. He, he wasn't very good at reading and he wasn't... Uh, he, listen, he had an East Texas education. And so he called him. When he read it, he thought it was Simon the leaper. And he preached a whole message about how happy he was that he wasn't a leper anymore. So he was Simon the leaper. But that's not exactly what it is. Simon the leper. Now, Now, what's interesting to me about Simon is that he's mentioned in Mark 14 where it says, And Jesus being in the house of Simon the leper. And you want to know who was in the house with him? Simon. So if Simon's in the house and Jesus in the house, you know what that means? He ain't a leper anymore. Can you imagine the disciples sitting down and saying, Hey, Simon, hey, Simon the leper, come on over here. And said, Come on, fellas. Come on, can can we drop the leper label? I'm healed. That's not who I am anymore. I'm thinking about another labeled man. Now this label's not given to him in the Bible, but we gave it to him. His name's Thomas. Which Thomas? Don't you think he's going to have a word with us when we get to heaven? Uh, Come on, guys. I did confess him as my Lord and my God. Uh, uh, Come on, guys. Uh, uh, History records that he was martyred for the faith, and yet he's not known as Thomas the martyr. He's not known as Thomas the declarer of the divinity of Christ. He's known as Doubting Thomas. I bet he'd like to peel off that label. I'm thinking about another fellow. His name's Nicodemus. You say, which one? You know, the one that came to Jesus by night. I think he'd like to slip off that label, don't you? It seems a cowardly thing to come to Jesus by night. And yet that is what he is known as in the Scripture. Our heroine of the faith is known in the same way. She holds a label. She, she's got something attached to her that, that she'd probably rather forget. In the Old Testament, John uh, Joshua 6 verse 17 says, Only Rahab the harlot shall live. In 625, Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive. In the New Testament, in our text, 1131 Hebrews, by faith the harlot Rahab. Even in James chapter 2, 
And verse 25, James is lifting her up as an example of good works. And still, he says, likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works. It just seems unfair. And it just seems unkind that this good woman, this hero of the faith, should have to continue to live under the weight of this label. So I got to thinking, why? Lord, why? Because this is your book. This is your Bible. Why do you want this woman to wear this label? And I got to thinking, you know, God works all things together for good. For ladies like this. And I'm, I'm thinking, Lord, it is not in your nature a God that forgives and forgets. Who takes our sin and casts it as far as east is from the west. And buries it in the sea of his forgetfulness. It is just not in your character to take someone's sin and rub their nose in it. So I don't believe that's what God is trying to do in the life of Rahab. So what's going on here? There must be something good about this label. There must be a blessing in what she used to be following her into a life where she's something altogether different. And so I found three things. Isn't it amazing how the Lord always works in threes? Well, at least in my mind. I like a three-point sermon. Always gives people hope that you're going to be done quickly. Amen. And so it might not work out that way, but at least you give folks hope. Say, Brother Joel, I've got a label. And that label's a hindrance. I think of what I used to be. And I think of where I came from. And I want to encourage you tonight. I want you to understand that, that those labels can be very powerful. Aids in ministry and in serving God. And I want you to see, first of all, how did this label help her? Well, number one, it helps us mortify our flesh. You remember what, what Isaiah 51 verses 1 and 2 says. He said, hearken unto me, hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock whence ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit whence ye are digged. Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah that bare you. For I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. God said, hey, don't forget the rock that I dug you out from underneath. Don't ever forget where you came from. It'll help you mortify your flesh. And can I tell you what can happen? We get saved a little while. Spend most of your life in church and not much time out on the streets witnessing to the lost. Hey, uh, we get to thinking a little bit too highly of ourselves. Get to sticking our nose in the air and forget about what God has done in your life and who you used to be. And I think every time she heard that harlot word attached to her name, you know what it did? It humbled her lest she be lifted up beyond measure. I like what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. He said, For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But, sounds like he remembers where he came from. Sounds like it's mortifying his flesh as he calls himself the least of all the apostles. Look at that. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. In Paul's case, it humbled him. He said, you know what I did? He said, I took that label. And when people saw me, all they saw was a church record. When people saw me, all they saw was the man that held the coach at Stephen's death. And he said, I took that label. And I took those mistakes. And he said, I used them for 
fuel to motivate me to do more for God than I would have without the label. You see, it helps us mortify the flesh lest we get lifted up beyond measure. Listen to me. When people come into Sweet Springs Baptist Church, they don't care that Baptist is on your sign. Hmm? They walk in this place. If there's nothing but a bunch of Pharisees with their nose stuck in the air, they can find that someplace else. You ought to care it's a Baptist church, but they don't. Can I tell you this? Somebody visiting your church doesn't care that you use the King James Bible. You should, but they don't. When somebody walks in this place, you want to know what they want to know? Is there anybody in here that'll love me? Is there anybody that'll look past my label? Is there anybody that cares about me, that'll shake my hand, that'll smile at me? And you know what we need? We need less believers that have forgotten about where they came from, that are lifted up with pride, sticking their nose in the air. But by the grace of God, you'd be right where they were. Man, we ought to come alongside folks like that, whose hair isn't just right, Hmm? whose skin color's different. Whose clothes aren't just right. And say, hey, listen, I'm not saying we need to condone their sin, but somebody ought to lovingly come alongside them and say, Hey, I've been where you are, and I want to help lead you along because I found some answers in the Word of God. Helps us mortify our flesh, lest we get lifted up with pride. Listen to me, in Rahab's case, her name actually means proud. She came from a proud race of people. She had an idolatrous past. She'd been brought up among an idolatrous Canaanite people. So idolatrous, so wicked. God said, wipe them all out lest they corrupt and contaminate my people. She had an immoral past. God had washed this away, but it was still good for her to remember. Say, Brother Joel, how do you know that Rahab remembered her past? And how do you know that God used it to keep her humble? Well, study her life. And look at her descendants. She married a fellow named Solomon. You ever read over in the book of Ruth? You ever run into a fellow named Boaz? Isn't it interesting how, how kind he is toward Ruth, the Moabitess, a labeled woman. How she comes in and he doesn't take advantage. And he doesn't stick his nose up in the air and say, who are you and what are you? In fact, it surprises Ruth, doesn't, doesn't it? She says, why have I found favor in thine eyes? I'm just a labeled woman. And he brings her in. And he's her kinsman redeemer. And you say, where could an attitude come like that? I'm just going to give you my opinion right now. My opinion is he had a mama whose name was Rahab that never forgot where she came from. And she said, son, we didn't always live this way. Son, there was a time back in Jericho when I allowed men to do things that were right and where I wasn't right with God. And I want you to remember where mama came from because that's part of your history. And you know what we got out of that? We got a mama telling her son, don't don't you ever treat women like I allowed men to treat me. And we get a kinsman redeemer because a mama didn't forget where she came from. Hey, come on, parents. Why don't you remind these kids where you came from? I know it's embarrassing. I know it's shameful. And a lot of that old past, we just want to smooth over. We want to gloss over. We don't want to talk about that. You know what happens? Some of these kids, some of these young people, they think as they're growing up in your home, it's always been that way. Mm. they haven't seen the struggle and the hard work that was put in to overcome the battles and the difficulties that are associated with that old life. And I know you don't want to be seen that way. 
And I know you don't want them to know all the gory details, but can I tell you there's some benefit and there's some nurturing that these young people could receive to know the price that was paid that they could have a life like the one that they're living. Because I tell you what I've had my fill of, brethren, is a bunch of bratty, snot-nosed, stuck-up church kids uh, who think that they're a class above the other sinners. Know this, young people. You listen to me, church kids. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, hell burns just as hot for a lost church kid as it does for a harlot. And I can take you, I can take you to where the pastor's sons are that are laying in the gutter drunk. And I can take you to where the pastor's daughters are that are living lives of harlotry. And just because you're in a good church, and just because you've got a good family, and just because everybody thinks you've got it all together, listen, that does not make you immune to what the world wants to do with your life. It helps us more. Hey, we better get humble. Part of that humility is being straight with your kids and tell them this is what daddy was and this is what it brought and this is who Jesus is and this is what he did. And our kids are missing that because you don't want to get labeled. Helps us mortify the flesh. Well, not only does it help us mortify the flesh, secondly, number two, look at that, you're already two-thirds of the way there. You're doing all right. It helps us measure the grace of God in our lives. How do you know how far you've come? If you don't remember where you started from. (laughs) There's a lot of of Sundays I walk into our church and we've got men. Oh, we've got some good, sweet men that love the Lord. I think about Brother Roger walked in. He's talking to me the other day. And he goes, almost two years. And I said, yeah, yeah, almost two years since you got saved. He said, yeah, 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 but that's not what I was talking about. He said, almost two years since I drunk a bottle of beer. Another fellow walks in, says, man, pastor, says, just got a raise at work. Said, I remember when I used to spend three, four, five, six hundred dollars a week on drugs. Pastor, my, my tooth partial came in from when I got into a fight as a drunk and somebody kicked my teeth in. Well, well what do they do? Listen, they'll come up and hey, Pastor, it's been a year. Pastor, it's been six months. Pastor, one month. Are they looking back because they're pining for that old lifestyle? Oh, no. You know what they're doing? They're measuring day by day the measure of grace that's being given from heaven. And they're saying, hallelujah, I've got something to praise God about. Measure the grace of God in your life. Don't you ever forget where you came from. You know what it'll do? It'll steal your joy. It'll rob your shout when you forget. But I'm, hey, listen, I'm telling you, you say, you say oh, well, we're all saved in the South. That's the problem. Everybody thinks they got it from grandma and grandpa and you don't have anything real and you don't have any joy because somehow you think you deserved it. Somehow you inherited it. Let me let you know on something. It's just as quick a path to hell from Alabama as it is from Michigan or the Southwest or the Northwest. Hey, if you're saved, you've got something to praise God for. Measure the grace of God in your life. Don't you ever forget where God saved you from. Oh, what's a church kid? Oh, don't get me started now. Don't mean to, hey, if you get me started about praising God for saving my soul, we may never get out of here tonight. I know, I, listen, I know the devil had plans for me. You mark it down, young men. You mark it down, the devil's got plans for you. If he can't drag your soul to hell, he'll try to get you to live a piece of it right here. 
I don't care how good your family is. How many Bible verses you've got memorized. He's coming for you. And you better be ready. I can measure the grace of God in my life. I can see so many times when the devil tried to make me a drunk. I measured the grace of God in my life two weeks ago. We were having a youth camp there in, in Noslini on the reservation. My 12-year-old son walked up to me. And he didn't say, Dad, I'm having doubts about my salvation. You know what he said? He said, Dad, I'm not saved. I'm not saved. And I said, well, son, I'd, I'd never tell you if you are or if you're not. But if you're telling me you're not. I said, I can't bear the thought of heaven without you. I said, wouldn't you get down on your knees and ask the Lord to save you right now? And we knelt down in that muddy clay and he called on the Lord and God saved his soul. And you know what I did? I went skipping all the way home, measuring the grace of God. The devil wanted to take my son to hell, but he doesn't get him. Hallelujah. The measure of God's grace in our lives. Come on, some of you were headed to hell. You were dragging your whole family with you. And look where you are now. Got kids getting saved, getting called into the ministry, making decisions. There's nothing better than that. You've got something to shout about tonight sweet springs baptist church don't you ever stop measuring the grace of god in your life in rahab's case it took her from the lineage of the condemned and it put her in the lineage of christ it took her from the loneliness of harlotry and it gave her to the love of a husband it took her from the iniquity of canaan to the inheritance of israel it took her from a living death to an abundant life well i'm telling you she had something to measure didn't she i'm thinking about some other fellas Another labeled couple of fellas. They were called the sons of thunder. Remember them? Remember James and John? Remember when they came in that Samaritan village? And they didn't receive Jesus right. And so those fellas said, Man, Lord, shall we call fire out of heaven and consume them? I don't know how you read that. When I'm reading I'm like, Yeah, let's go for it. That would be incredible. And then as the Lord rebukes them, I get rebuked. Amen. He rebukes us, you don't know what spirit you're of. You know what's funny? You ever get over there in 1 John? Does that ever happen around here? Anybody ever reading 1 John? How many times you see that? Little children love one another. And you know, I get to thinking, what happened to the son of thunder? Wants to burn everybody? You want to know? The grace of God's been working in his life. Like it wants to work in your life. And you can measure it out right there in the scripture. And see what has been accomplished in his heart. These labels. Who we used to be. The mistakes that we've made. The trip ups. That we just like to forget. That we just like to put in the deepest darkest recesses of our mind. God leaves them there oft times. Because they help us to mortify our flesh. They help us to measure the grace of God in our life. So we never lose our shout. Never lose our joy. But then thirdly, and my favorite, two-thirds, over two-thirds of the way there, it helps us magnify our hope. Go with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 1. You remember what's there? Matthew chapter 1. Oh, this is my favorite. This is almost too good to preach. Matthew chapter 1. Look at the Bible. And I'm going to let you get there. You need to see this in black and white. It helps us magnify our hope. Look what the scripture says, Matthew chapter 1. And and why don't we go ahead and and start reading right there in verse number 5. 
I'm be honest with you, the Lord almost messed up my whole message right here with this verse. I know that never happens for any of, the, uh, any of you other preachers, but I've had the Bible mess up a lot of really good outlines and sermons. And I've got to go back and get straightened out. Huh? Get over here to verse 5. You know what the Bible says? And Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab. Now, you're going to let a little C throw you off, or are you smart enough to figure out that's Rahab? Okay, do you need to write a whole book on why that's not Rahab? Or can you just accept that that's Rahab? Now, now here's what's interesting to me. Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab the harlot. No harlot. It gets worse. Look, the Lord's messing up my sermon now. It says, And Boaz begat Obed of Ruth the Moabitess. No Moabitess. And Obed begat Jesse. And it goes on. And I got to scratch in my head right here. For a long time. And I thought, Lord, why no harlot? Why no Moabitess? This is the only thing I can figure out, Brother Paul. You get more confused than I do. You scratch with two hands, don't you? Amen. (laughs) Amen, Brother Paul. Amen. Did you know in your Bible that this is the first time, this is the first time Rahab is introduced as a man's bride? And when she's introduced as a bride, there's no labels. And I got to thinking. It began to magnify my hope. Because my blessed hope is one day my Lord's coming for me. And I may not look like much of one right now, but I'm going to be part of a bride, Brother Gibson. (laughs) And when I'm part of that bride, can I tell you, when I get there, I'll be known as He is known. He's not going to see me the way I was anymore. I'm going to look like Jesus. And in that day when He comes for me, no more harlots and no more drunkards and no more divorcee and no more angry man and no more whatever it was you were before you got saved because we'll be in a bride but I'm looking forward to that day when all the labels fall off now in the meantime listen I understand in the mind of God I'm already seated in heavenly places and listen in the mind of God he doesn't see my sin anymore but listen in I don't have God's mind just yet and I still remember And those memories hurt. And those failures hurt. And when others remember what we used to be, that's embarrassing and it hurts. So until I get that perfected and glorified mind, and those labels get brought up once again, instead of using it as an excuse to not serve God, instead of using it as an excuse why I can't surrender to preach, instead of using it for an excuse why I can't teach that class, And why I couldn't have a family for God. Instead of using it as an excuse that holds me back, I'm going to let the labels mortify my flesh. I'm going to let it help me measure the grace of God in my life so I never get too prideful and so that that I've always got a shout and I can always remain rejoicing. And I'm going to let it magnify my hope and cause me to look all the more forward to that day when my Savior comes for me and He wipes the slate clean and I'm not known by those labels anymore.